I'm Kara Meiber-Guzman. And I'm Stephen Baxter. And this is Santa Cruz Local. Today, we're trying something new. Santa Cruz Local played tag team today. I went to the Santa Cruz City Council meeting, Stephen went to the Santa Cruz County Board of Supervisors meeting, and we'll recap both meetings for you. But first, let's talk about the pending power outages in Santa Cruz County. We're recording this Tuesday night. Pacific Gas and Electric says it's going to shut off power in stages in parts of Santa Cruz County. This is a preventative measure because there's high winds and conditions prone to wildfire. So if you live in places like the San Lorenzo Valley, Santa Cruz Mountains, Soquel, Aptos, or Coralitos, the utility will shut off power in stages in those areas. It depends on the wind. It shouldn't touch most of the city of Santa Cruz, Live Oak, or Watsonville. A county spokesman told me today that most of the power will come back on quickly for residents, but for a few others, it could be up to five days without power. For updates, check out these two websites, pgecurrents.com, and the second is the Santa Cruz County Office of Emergency Services. We posted those links in the description of this episode. Last thing, PG&E has set up a community resource center at Twin Lakes Church. It'll have information, water, and power to charge things. It's open from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. during the outage. Okay, thanks, Stephen. Let's switch gears and let's talk about the Board of Supervisors meeting. Homelessness was the big thing on the agenda. Why don't you start by telling us about the homelessness study that the Board of Supervisors was considering today? Okay, backing up. The county hired focus strategies this year to study and provide a plan to address homelessness in the county. We discussed this plan last week. What's new is that the Board of Supervisors got to weigh in on this study. Focus Strategies, you might remember, is a consultant group that specializes in homelessness in California, Oregon, and Washington. It's all they do. This report is qualitative, based on interviews with service providers, county leaders, people experiencing homelessness, and focus groups of residents. There is a more quantitative report that's coming out in the next few months. So the main point was that the city and county of Santa Cruz are not coordinated in regards to homelessness. This is common elsewhere in California. A big aim is to have common goals and a more uniform response. Kate Bristol, the director of consulting for Focus Strategies, said this. And if I could just offer an analogy, um, if you think about a school district, um, if you're a parent and you want to enroll your child in second grade, imagine if you had to go to each school and you get to the school and the teachers come out and talk to you about whether they're going to feel like they're the right people to teach your child. And they say, no, go down to the next school and you go to the next one. And you finally get to a school where they say, sure, we'll be happy to enroll your second grader, but we only have space in sixth grade. Do you want that? So I think obviously you don't want your school system to work that way, but that is in a way kind of how homeless systems work. Um, So if you try to picture what it would be like if the homeless system ran more like the school system, um, in a school system you have a centralized district. They know how many students there are. They know how many people will be enrolling. They develop a plan to make sure you have enough schools and teachers. There's a policy for how you uh, enroll children in schools based on some consistent system. Um, You might not have all the resources you want to have in your school system, but you have a structured decision-making process to decide how you're going to spend the funds you do have to maximize results. Okay, so Stephen, what kind of feedback did we hear from the Board of Supervisors on Tuesday? The supervisors generally agreed with the findings. They said better coordination is needed with cities. Also, they were supportive of three short-term recommendations. 
The first was to reduce the number of people who are becoming homeless who are from the county. So that means rethinking how the county's smart path entry system works. That's basically a way to catch people as they're becoming homeless and enter them in the system. So do that better, she said. So that was number one. Two is, she said, build capacity of emergency shelters to deliver housing-focused services. She said, you should think about making your existing emergency shelters into navigation centers that are focused on people getting into housing. The third is to look at outreach efforts, and that means having a more uniform system of how to deal with the homeless in each city in the county. County Board Chairman Ryan Coonerty said homeless families should be the priority. The report says there's 59 unsheltered families in the county. That includes 133 children. He said with the right partners, the community can end family homelessness in Santa Cruz County. We all know not only is that the correct moral thing to do, but given the data that shows that trauma experienced by children has lifelong health and education and economic impacts, um, I believe this would be a good investment uh, for our community. County Supervisor Bruce McPherson, whose area covers San Lorenzo Valley, said that the number one thing to do is increase housing for people who are most vulnerable. Supervisor John Leopold said he wanted data to drive the county's decisions and he wanted metrics to measure its success. Supervisor Zach Friend provided a little bit of pushback. He said that homelessness should not be viewed in a vacuum. It's partly a function of the cost of housing and the cost of living in the county. Uh, The report said that Santa Cruz is the fifth most expensive metropolitan county in the United States. And what that means is a person would have to make $46 an hour to afford a two-bedroom apartment at fair market rent. And the fair market rent's about $2,400 a month. So you can see this is an uphill battle. It's not just about providing services. It's the bigger picture in the county. Okay, so what's next? Focus Strategies is expected to make another presentation to the board in the next few months. And then final recommendations are expected early in the new year. Okay, so let's move on to the local coastal program and county code updates. This is something that people who live on the coast are especially interested in. Stephen, what happened on Tuesday? Well, this is about the county planning for sea level rise. It's a plan for the California Coastal Commission to consider. Part of the idea is to reduce the risk to people and houses along the coast, while also considering the quality of beaches and surf spots. The area under consideration is basically from Santa Cruz Harbor to Capitola, and then south of there through La Selva Beach and the rest of the county. There's already big rocks called riprap and seawall at places like Pleasure Point. It sounds like this plan could allow for similar protections on Opal Cliff Drive. This has been in the works since 2011, and a few dozen homeowners are and potential fees for them hang in the balance. Board Chairman Coonerty said that he's eager to finish this so he can devote more staff time to more pressing issues, which he feels are housing and homelessness. Okay, so what did they do on Tuesday? Basically, they sent it to the County Planning Commission that's going to take it up at its November meeting, and then they're going to have a public hearing again on December 10th at the County Board of Supervisors, hopefully for a final plan that they can give to the Coastal Commission. So Kara, tell us about the Santa Cruz City Council meeting. They took up the censure matter again, right? Right. 
So as you may remember, at their last city council meeting, the city council was trying to decide whether or not to censure council members Drew Glover and Chris Crone for violating the city's respectful workplace conduct policy. There were two substantiated claims against them. We've reported this exhaustively in our previous episodes. You can check those out. As you may remember, the council at its last meeting voted to table this matter, which means that they pushed it out to a future date to be determined. My read is that the public was pretty upset about this. They did this before the public got to comment about it. What's unusual is that it came back quickly at this meeting. Usually the items go away and they don't come back, at least not soon. The reason why this item came back so quickly is because the city's Commission for the Prevention of Violence Against Women voted unanimously at its last meeting to urge the mayor to bring up this item again at this meeting. So they did. The council heard about an hour of public comment. There were many people supporting Glover and Crone. There were many people supporting the censure. The council, in the end, voted four to three not to censure Chris Crone and Drew Glover. It was a motion put forth swiftly by Sandy Brown again. In her motion, she said there was not enough evidence to censure Glover and Crone because according to that city policy that they violated, one act of misconduct does not constitute disrespectful conduct. And so therefore, a censure is not warranted. Brown. Vice Mayor Cummings and Cronin Glover voted in favor of that motion. What did the public say at the meeting? Here's what Layla Kramer, the vice chair of the Commission for the Prevention of Violence Against Women, said. She gave a four-minute talk. She was flanked by some other members of the commission, but not all of them. She said, start by believing those who share stories of harassment. She said the tabling of the censure at the last meeting prevented the council from using the only tool it has to make a formal statement of disapproval. This censure is not about a recall. It's not about just cause evictions and Measure M. It's not about the homelessness and affordable housing in our community. This censure is about believing people who have the courage to speak up when they are afraid to do so because the stakes are high. It's about supporting those people through an already difficult situation, and it's about speaking truth to power. Dozens of people spoke. For those who supported Cronin Glover, there were a couple of themes that this wasn't about believing women, it was about the recall, that this was misplaced feminism, that the commission for the prevention of violence should focus on its stated goal of preventing domestic violence and rape and sexual harassment and not get into council dynamics. Another common theme, that the council should focus on conflict resolution. A censure would only deepen the divide. Here's city resident Sally Gwen Satterley. And I feel terrible that these women felt bad. Please, all of you, care for each other do what was recommended, which was conflict resolution. Please work together on this. Get past this and end this, please, for the good of the city. Many people were just frustrated with the council drama. We heard phrases like 
this is a painful episode, a sad chapter, uh, public trauma. People said they left in disgust after the last meeting. Others said it's really the taxpayers that are losing out in all this. And things got ugly. There was a lot of blaming. People blamed the city manager for not reining in the chaos earlier. One of the last people to speak was Susie O'Hara. She's the assistant to the city manager, and she was one of three women who complained against Glover, as we previously reported. She gave emotional testimony at the last city council meeting. She spoke again to the Commission for the Prevention of Violence Against Women the following day. On Tuesday, she spoke again. So I want to say I'm not responsible for Drew's behavior. It is not my fault because I'm a white woman. It's not my fault because I'm a, a public servant. It is not my fault. Justin, was it your fault when Chris screamed in your face in the public after you took an opposing vote? Sandy, the same question goes for you. Was it your fault? Okay. So I want to say is what I want, somebody said, what do we want? I want the victim blaming and shaming to stop. It is retaliatory and abusive. In essence, she said that everyone who spoke in support of Crone and Glover blamed everyone but Crone and Glover for the discord. This wasn't a surprise that the council voted to not censure Crone and Glover. Hopefully, the public got a sense of closure just from the hour of public comment. The next step is for the council to undergo conflict resolution and mediation, and that's going to be scheduled in the next few months. Okay, let's switch gears. What happened with any changes to the city's residential rental inspection program? In short, nothing. Okay, so let's back up for a second. The city's residential rental inspection program is supposed to check all the rental housing units in the city for health and safety violations. The idea is to make sure tenants are not living in unsafe conditions. But some council members are against the program. They say the program results in the loss of rentals from the market. Crone says he's against it. Brown says she's not a fan. Glover says it breeds distrust among the community. Do we know how many rental units are in this program? So since the program started, there have been 158 unpermitted units that have been inspected. There are about 300 more unpermitted units that are in the queue. So I've heard that by inspecting all these rentals that the city finds out that they're not up to code and then they get taken off the market. What does the data show about that? 15 units have been taken off the market by either the landlord or the owner. And that's for reasons like not wanting to pay to get the building up to code. Each year, the city also takes one or two units on average off the market because of egregious code violations. So it's happening, but not in humongous numbers. So what happened Tuesday? One of the things the council was considering was whether to switch to a complaint-based system where it's, but on Tuesday, the council decided to delay any decision on the inspection program. They felt like they didn't have enough time Instead, in February, the council will have a study session on the inspection program, and the council will look at narrowing its focus to health and safety and a possible amnesty program. The council is supposed to make a decision on that amnesty program to legalize unpermitted units in April. Last big thing the council did, they talked about whether Kaiser Permanente could have a medical office on Cooper Street. Can you tell us about that? Kaiser Permanente wants to expand. 
It currently has an office on Locust Street. It wants to expand to the second and fifth floors of the Cooper House. The zoning administrator already approved it. The planning commission did as well. On Tuesday, the city council ended up going with both of those bodies and approving the permit. So this office space is important because there's a very low vacancy rate in downtown Santa Cruz right now. It's it's less than 3% for offices. This is the last vacant office space downtown that's greater than 6,000 square feet. Some downtown tech workers spoke on Tuesday. They said that space would be more appropriate for another tech company to move in. In some ways, the city is also opposed to the move. Bonnie Lipscomb, the city's economic development director, says there's other places downtown that would be a better fit for Kaiser. It would make more sense for a clinic to have ground floor entry. Right. But it's already been approved, so they're limited in what they can do, right? The reason it's at city council is because council member Donna Myers wanted the city council to hear it and for the process to start over. She felt that Kaiser Permanente is going to be there for the long term. This is a big decision that will shape the future of downtown. And the right tenant should be in that location. Myers wanted to deny the permit or at least delay it and ask Kaiser to continue looking for alternatives downtown, but she didn't have the votes. Only Matthews voted with Myers. In the end, council member Sandy Brown agreed that the site, 110 Cooper Street, may not be the ideal location for a medical clinic, but Brown said that the council should not interfere with leases on the private market. The proposal meets the zoning and the general plan requirements, so the council should back off. Most of the council agreed. Thank you to all our members. You're supporting fair and accurate local journalism in Santa Cruz County. Thank you especially to our Guardian level members, Elizabeth and David Doolin, Chris Necklison, Patrick Riley, and the Kelly family. If you'd like to become a member, visit santacruzlocal.org membership. Here's what else you can do to support us. Sign up for our free email newsletter at santacruzlocal.org. Also, help us spread the word. Tell your friends about Santa Cruz Local. I'm Stephen Baxter. And I'm Kara Myberg-Guzman. Thanks for listening to Santa Cruz Local.